Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Empire. The modern fan base needs to be engaged with in a modern way. Uh, I think opportunities that no many clubs have leveraged yet is a cashback opportunity for their fans. Huh. If their fans are already spending a lot of money, I think if you bring this functionality to the uh, sort of uh, channel of communication of your app, you can do a lot more. That's Samir Cherich, COO of Blocksport, whose company is leveraging the foundations of Web3, NFTs, and blockchain to provide a roadmap maintaining a new generation of fans. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Samir has a background working with an international soccer club. He felt he was ahead of the club's marketing and engagement mechanisms and decided to move into business by helping build a company that would speed up the process for teams looking to attract younger fans who are already engaging in far more interesting ways. Our guest this week is Samir Cherich. He is the Chief Operating Officer of Block Sport, which is a Swiss-based sports tech provider with a focus on video games, esports, and sports, where they're providing teams, streamers, influencers, federations, leagues, all sorts of levels with their own branded and fully managed fan engagement ro- mobile app platform. Hey, Samir, how are you? Very well, Ram. Uh, thank you for inviting me and great to be on your show. Okay, that is a lot there. Why don't you kind of break down, what does BlockSport do? So uh, it's in very simple terms, uh, you know, I I was lucky to have been a, a, a former president or chairman of a football club. So when I joined Block Sports, I very much wanted to drive the conversation towards the uh, sports property um, owners and operators in sort of explaining to them that uh, there is huge uh, buzz around metaverse, there's a huge buzz of, around blockchain, and how can this technology really help uh, mobilize the fan bases uh, uh, around the world with their particular sports clubs. So what we do is we actually provide a full ecosystem uh, for the sports clubs from the fan engagement app, uh, blockchain-based, but also bells and whistles, all the way to the non-speculative fan tokens and NFTs. And uh, one of the key differentiating points between what we do and the rest of uh, the market is the fact that we've actually uh, done a U-turn with our tokens. Uh, we offer great belief that the clubs around the world shouldn't list their tokens immediately because there's a huge risk of those volatilities, especially in the current marketplace. And uh, all of our fund tokens are utility-based, benefits-based, and that's basically something that's made a, a huge sort of impact when it comes down to the latest signings of our parties. Okay, um, let me talk about the tokens then for a moment. Were teams looking at it as a value 
attached to it or had they always been looking at it as a utility to keep engaged and offer incentivization to remain a fan of a team? I think it's a combination of the two. I think it really depends who you're talking to. So uh, the, the sort of uh, the most uh, the easiest way to sort of describe the tokens and uh, token holder uh, positioning is uh, off the back of the digital membership. Uh, but uh, I think uh, something that the clubs are starting to realize now with more and more education is that it really helps them further their fan engagement because uh, especially post pandemic, and I think one of the uh, big benefits of pandemic uh, and the off the back of uh, empty stadiums was the fact that uh, clubs and sporting clubs around the world really needed to find a new way to monetize their fan base, but not the expense of the fan base. So when you look at the marketplace out there where the, the, the sort of value of tokens have collapsed uh, just purely because it wasn't only the fans that were underpinning the trading, but especially crypto traders, uh, we've soon realized that uh, it's not the best way to win the hearts and minds of both the club owners, but also the fans that have been around for 100, 150 years. And you have, as, you have to, as a club owner or club management, offer much more to your fans. So various utilities, various benefits, money can't buy experiences are sort of forming the part of uh, what we have to offer. That's really interesting. I mean, because, you know, rewards points have happened for a long, whatever you want to call them, have hap- been around for a very long time. Um, like I'm a Marriott rewards member. I can't buy anything with it that's not directly through Marriott, though. So they determine what the value is. Were, were sports teams looking at this differently? Like there would be a different level of value of the tokens or coins that they were going to issue to their fans? Yes, absolutely. I think obviously because the blockchain and tokenomics that it's still at its infancy in the sports industry, I think ultimately the clubs ought to look at this as their own digital currency. Initially, by offering tokens with various benefits, uh, would allow some of the some of the clubs sort of fans to acquire jerseys and sort of uh, be part of the uh, fan shop experience. Others might be able to also acquire other type of uh, digital experiences which would underpin some of the NFTs. But ultimately, the way we see this is that every every club will end up having their own digital currency. And off the back of that and everything that's happening, happening in the affiliate uh, sort of uh, space, and affiliate space is very interesting space because, as you just mentioned, the loyalty uh, schemes in particular have been around for a long time. But one of the biggest, uh, I think, opportunities that not many clubs have leveraged yet is the cashback opportunity for their fans. Huh. If their fans are already spending a lot of money, I think if you bring this functionality to the uh, a sort of uh, channel of communication of your app, you can do a lot more and leverage that. How would you see that? How would you see that working? Cashback. So uh, ultimately, it's going to be off the back of the loyalty schemes. We are not. We are actually looking to implement some of the loyalty schemes at the moment. We, we're not there yet. But as somebody who sits on the board of uh, of uh, various investment companies, as, as well as obviously as a CEO of Blocksport, scaling the operations globally, I'm in a constant conversations with those who have been in the space of the loyalty and the cashback for a long time in the banking and the financial institution. But sadly, the, 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 the clubs, the biggest brands around the world with hundreds of millions of fans haven't yet uh, figured out how that could benefit them, how it could benefit their fans. Because 
I think whoever solves that uh, uh, issue and brings the opportunity to the clubs and to their fans who are already spending money on insurance policies, they're spending money on cars, they're spending money on restaurants, if they bring that into their channel of distribution, one, their fans will benefit because they, they want to basically spend less. And number two, obviously, the clubs and sporting properties will benefit off the back of these loyalty schemes uh, integrated within their uh, blockchain Web3 apps. Okay. Um, let me go back on your experience having worked directly with a club and now you're working with clubs now. Um, were they, are they staffed and prepared to enter this new world of Web3? Um, the short answer is no. Uh, and, and I'm talking from experience of my own former club uh, where I insisted and brought this agenda to the equation. I mean, um, whilst I was there uh, in my tenure, uh, there was lots of uh, a, a sort of uh, rejection of idea, lots of opposition to what I wanted to do and why I wanted to do it. But I've recently seen them uh, sort of uh, taking the, the general sponsorship deal with a crypto company. Uh, they've released the first NFT ticket at their stadium uh, uh, in quite a recently. They've adopted my vision for the club to digitalize and tokenize their offering. Uh, when I talk to the clubs in the UK, the sort of premiership level, championship level, or any of the top five uh, even leagues in Europe, I realize that their marketing departments are still lagging behind when it comes down to knowledge and experience. And uh, in other instances, on the other extreme, some are starting to set up metaverse divisions. And I think they're doing it in a haphazard way on an ad hoc basis. And hence, we've seen some of the disasters in the, in the, in the digital space from you know, the likes of uh, Man City and, and Barcelona uh, canceling their contract with NFT providers. And more recently, Liverpool and Sotheby launching uh, hundreds of thousands of NFTs and only really selling a small percentage of it, about 5%, yeah. by getting it wrong. So I think uh, the time uh, is yet, um, I think with the infancy, I think the clubs need more education and they need more long-term partners in order to be able to monetize on that. Yeah, the NFT space is very interesting. We've talked to a lot of people in that space here that felt like there was a gold rush for a while. A lot of people were treating a lot of these things almost like precious art. That market has hit a bubble for sure. How should sports teams think about NFTs as they move forward? Well, uh, very, very good point, Graham. Uh, I, I remember talking to those in the art industry uh, about NFTs that were really born in 2014 and really in the last four or five years they've actually picked up the stickiness in the marketplace. And you have the consumer companies, the likes of uh, Nike and Adidas and some major, major fashion brands that have gone into the space. And now we have sports companies and, and sports entities going into it, again, pretty blinded uh, in relation to the, the kind of uh, knowledge base and how to tackle it. In my view, the NFT market is fickle. It cannot be predicted, just like the art market cannot be predicted. I mean, I often come across people who, who tell me that uh, they nearly bought a particular piece of art many years ago, which has now gone up in price of salaries and Christie's, and it, it, it's fetching millions. But that almost is a similar thing to what the clubs are trying to do now. I think NFTs, uh, in my view, have got the longevity over a long period of time. 
there is no uh, 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 sort of ability to predict its overnight success. Ideally, you want to pin it to some sort of physical experience or physical good. So we're about to release the NFTs of the uh, Partizan Belgrade Basketball Club, which is uh, one of the top EuroLeague clubs uh, uh, in, in Europe. And uh, they, they've released the collection of their 1992 uh, sort of uh, trophy of uh, EuroLeague. And now they're going to release also their latest jerseys, which they're going to use uh, in their first uh, match this Saturday in Germany. However, the NFTs of this particular type will be underpinned by the physical jersey. They'll be uh, actually uh, uh, endorsed with signatures of the team players. So we are encouraging uh, sporting clubs to really think long and hard about the NFT strategy, to try and give it more than just a digital uh, uh, sort of uh, IP and try to sort of attach something uh, that's physical so the fans actually get more value for money at this point in time. I think eventually we're going to see NFTs in the sports industry similar way to the limited edition print or one-off uh, pieces of art in the art market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All of these things that we're talking about um, in this space, our listeners know about, they're very, they are still, in my opinion, somewhat niche things. So I do wonder how you think about broader fan bases when you start adopting things that are kind of gaining popularity, but maybe aren't fully adopted by fan bases at large yet. How do you think through kind of the educational process of bringing old school fans, new school fans, and all of these people together to understand how to interact with all of these different things that we're talking about? Well, I, I think, Bram, um, it, it's a very good question in the sense of I remember talking to some people in the art industry and they said the NFT arts have basically dealt with the, the snobbishness of the art market by allowing, you know, those from not so kind of right families uh, and the uh, right sort of blood to actually acquire some of the most expensive and most renowned uh, uh, art entities in the marketplace right now. Uh, it, it's basically off the back of education and the fact that the actual clubs that play in particular sports ought to look beyond their own fan base because some of them have got huge fan base, some of them have got really average size or small size fan base. But if they look at these digital assets in slightly more creative way, other than just the digital cards or the moving images, and they apply some sort of collaborative approaches with artists, and we are seeing now more and more collaborations between art and sport, as we've historically seen between art and fashion. If you look at the fashion houses that have been massively artists over the years, from Picasso's to Dali's to more recently the likes of Kuhn's and and Hearst and all the big guys. I think that, that I, I feel the sports industry can learn a lot from the world of art and fashion. It's not something that is natural to them because what the sports clubs are used to is uh, selling their sponsorship packages 
and they're moving their players around the world in all, and, and obviously selling stadiums in order to make a living. Now they're entering this new world of uh, in a digital era, a metaverse that everyone's talking about, the way in which they can acquire real estate and launch their stadiums and arenas yeah. around the world. And they are very, very confused. And um, I think it's our responsibility as, as a blockchain and technology partner and provider and platform to educate the, the sort of uh, the, the sports industry in the best possible way, but they want to do it themselves. They, they you know, we cannot, and it's a two-way street. I often say it takes two to tango, and they need to come on board and understand that this is something that ultimately will win them some serious, serious revenue. You know, I, I will ask, though, this is broad, and I, I do wonder what you think, because I agree with you that a lot of these things can be carried um, through the lens of art and fashion, but art and fashion can often be carried by changes in culture. How do sports modernize when their brand is set in a certain way, even if culture is kind of shifting around them? Well, I mean, I think that the, the brand... Uh, Sports brands have got to uh, go in, 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 in sort of uh, in line with the times, and they need to follow what's happening uh, in terms of the, the trend setting and trend following. And the culture around the world and the cultural identity is changing all the time. And uh, the younger and younger generation is starting to consume the content of these major sports brands, not necessarily by coming to their stadiums, but by consuming their content off the back of the avatars, off the back of the digital, off the back of the, you know, NFTs and everything that's out there that in five or ten years' time will be the, the, the sort of norm, in my view. At the moment, it's still very innovative. It's still very pioneering. There are also trial and errors. There's, uh, you know, also anti-sort anti of campaigns and, and sort of uh, lots of rumor that there's major sports tech companies out there to really kind of rip off the brand sports brands and, and sort of leverage their fund bases. And I'm sure there's some of that happening around there. But uh, the sports entities, and I often mention, are not your traditional corporate environments. They're more like a social enterprises purely because they've got the fans around for decades, if not centuries. And uh, it's an important aspect that we as the responsible sports tech company has got to understand how the sports uh, operate in general, but also they need to move with time. And unless they do that, they will really struggle to uh, attract the right kind of uh, 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 sponsorship and right kind of revenues that they're potentially entitled to. Okay. Let me, let me talk to you about um, thinking through working with teams and or leagues. Um, when you, when block sport works with, just for example, say Manchester United or or a La Liga team like Real Madrid, um, they both play soccer. They both play soccer at an extraordinarily high level. But I'm going to guess that their fan bases are culturally very different. There's going to be a lot of differences in how they interact with their teams, even if they all have the same common commonality of they love soccer. Um, how do you work to kind of differentiate the type of platforms you build for one team or one league from another to, as we're talking here, kind of broaden the view of what, you know, being a fan may be for specific brands that may be different than others? So um, it, it, I, I come back to uh, the elements of 
the fact that every sports brand is unique in itself and has very little competition with the rest of the market uh, and other sports brands within their own market or even internationally purely because the loyalty of those fans stems for generations and often decades, if not centuries. So the sports brand has got to understand how uh, to engage with their own audience. It cannot be the job of a blockchain technology partner like ours. We are bringing technology. We are bringing the platforms. We're bringing the know-how. We're doing the knowledge transfer, but we're not in business to tell them how to engage mm. with their audience purely because it's not really our job and we will never be able to do as a good job as, uh, as, as, as they will. We give them the tools, the toolkit, to be able to improve their fan engagement, which is a very, very important thing, and also monetize it in the way that doesn't actually compromise their reputation, their integrity. So in actual fact, you mentioned Manu and Real Madrid. Both of them run in their own uh, lane, and both of them have got both national and international audience. Yeah. It's their job when they're launching their brand in China, when they're launching their brand in the United States, to really change the communication sort of language towards these uh, these fan groups, although they all Manu or Real Madrid supporters. All right, last thing. Um, so give me a sense of what you think just in general teams are not doing particularly well in these spaces that you can help them with. So I think what they're really not doing well is uh, thinking long-term. I think uh, so many clubs we've spoken to have turned the conversation on its head and said, you know, how much are you going to pay us to come in? Uh, we said, well, look, we understand you've been around for 100, 150 years, but it's not our job to actually pay our way in in order to prove ourselves. Yeah, of course, uh, we can discuss uh, about, you know, our sub model. We can discuss about rev share model. We can even agree a rev share model in order to actually show to you how it's done. But we're definitely not in, in this uh, in this uh, market uh, in order to sell you the dream and uh, sell you the miracle and sell you something that will make you millions uh, and tens of millions overnight because it's not going to work. We're here to work together as partners and most of our contracts are now five plus five years. We're no longer entertaining contracts over one or two years because we don't need to do that, number one. Number two, we don't believe in it. If you're going to keep on changing your partners in the blockchain and tech space, you're going to keep on making mistakes. If they are willing to understand that we are here genuinely as their partners to show them the way, how to do two important things, which is further their fund engagement, create new revenues that we are in. Otherwise, uh, we're not interested. Samir Cherich is the COO of Blocksport. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. On the next Future Sport Podcast, the rise of micro-betting is changing everything in sports and broadcasting. In the past year, we also stood up our own uh, data collection operation for college, um, sort of out of necessity. There just wasn't uh, quality enough live data feed for, for college to do the micro-markets that we wanted to do. So we have over 300 scouts across the country in stadiums um, collecting data and so we're kind of powering that whole product and, and that's been a big effort that's mark narenberg coo of simple bet who is running the engine of in-game betting across many different sports 
That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Ram Weinstein.